0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 9th, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for today's meeting. The share ID for Friday's meeting, March 7th, is 6013. This morning, A Vision for You presents, this is a 12-step program, So why aren't you working the 12 steps? The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. The real advantage of these steps is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation, a change in the way a person thinks feels, and behaves. With respect to our binge foods, we have been rendered completely neutral. No fight, no temptation. The problem has been removed. Here to speak this morning is Phil D., a recovered compulsive overeater who resides in Manhattan. Phil is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous Dedicated to carrying this message of recovery to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, welcome to a vision for you, Phil. Hi, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes, wonderfully fantastic. Thanks.
1: making sure right oh, I just start now.
0: <laughs> go right ahead. It's all <clears throat> over, Phil.
1: Okay. All right. I'm starting my little timer now, so I, I got it. Hello, everybody. My name is Phil. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, uh, Leah, thank you so much for having me on on, on this this podcast. It, it is awesome. I've, I've listened to you guys before, and uh, this is some amazing stuff. You guys are bringing a lot of recovery in here. Um, just to give you my stats, my uh, home group is the, the There is a Solution meeting, and our website is www.com oabigbooknyc.org I guess we'll give that again later and if anybody wants to contact me my number is 646-409-4261 and my email is checkerfill at gmail.com you guys can contact me anytime ask me recovery stuff Um, let's see I'll start it off (laughs) it's so funny because before this meeting started um, right at the last minute I'm about to to call and uh, a sponsee calls me and uh You know, she just wanted to just talk, and and it's like I let her know what was happening, and and she said,
2: so let's pray.
1: And I'm like, yeah, that's right, because that's what it always boils down to. Um, And that's one of the greatest things that I've gotten from this program um, was a relationship with a higher power. That was not what I came in here looking at. Um, As as my stats go, I came into the Rooms of Overeaters Anonymous on November 1st, uh, 2008, and uh I was at two hundred and ninety six pounds. My maximum weight was uh three hundred and thirteen pounds and uh since then I guess right now I'm like uh fluctuate between one fifty five and one fifty nine pounds, always bouncing between there and there. And and you know what, that was not because of me. That that was because of a power greater than myself. I've been abstinent for four years and um you know, I needed a power greater than myself to relieve me of the bondage of self to stop me from from doing what I was doing, and I'll let you know a little of what I was doing. Um, let's see. As I started as a child, I was uh, always a, a heavy kid. Um, there, there was many things that that I was always you know, trying to escape from. Um, I'd been molested as a child. I uh, was always being made fun of and bullied in class. Um, now I'm half Puerto Rican and half Haitian, so I wasn't black enough for the black kids in school. I wasn't Spanish enough, Spanish enough for the Spanish kids in school. And everybody, and I felt like a great apartness. My, my parents got divorced, and I always felt it was my fault. There was all these things that gave me what I didn't realize then was resentments, But uh, those were not the things that caused me to eat. What caused me to eat really was that I loved it. It got me out of my head. It got me in a, in a place that I was looking – because what I was looking for is a way to escape what I was going through. And I found that through a combination of eating – um, uh, comic books and music and television. I was able to completely blur out the rest of the world, and uh, I created this gigantic wall that I, I was was able to hide behind properly. And I and I guess as as I grew, you know, they often talk about uh, kids that are molested. They kind of build this wall of fat around them so people can't get them, people can't touch them or hurt them. And what I was trying to do is just you know just block everything out cuz i i didn't want i didn't want to be part of it i remember a lot of the stuff um my my mom was an alcoholic and as as i am also and uh a thing that happened was like she'd be passed out and i would have to make a breakfast for my sisters and things like that or i volunteered for that and um when everybody was having like I I would make them a small thing of whatever thing I was making, and then I would make a gigantic thing for myself. And and this is the way I did, you know, kind of entire boxes of cereal, any of these things. These were the things that I, you know, I just couldn't have one. I didn't understand. Um, I was always sent to the store as a kid, and I found that, you know, they would give me like 50 cents or something like that, which I would all completely spend on penny candy and things like that. But then I started noticing – I started progressively going up. I started skimming money off the top whenever they would send me, and I would start buying bigger things all the time. And it's like, well, well, one would get like you know a little thing of candy. I was buying entire like things, <laughs> and it was and it was crazy. And I didn't understand why I was doing that. I would go straight to my room and knock these things out, and that's just the way I, you know. It, it just I just hid. I didn't want to be a part of life. I wanted to just. I basically wanted to die. I mean, I was a little kid, and I wanted to die back then. And um, things didn't get m- much better, but, but you know what they say back then in the days, it works until it doesn't work. Oh, what did they say? It, yeah, first it's fun, then it's fun with problems, and then it was just problems. And it was like that for me. Um, I found that being even a fatter kid, kid, more kids would make fun of me, and it would just drive me more and more into isolation, just kind of reaffirming, creating this, self-fulfilling prophecy of, of, you know, why I needed to be away from you. And, uh, and, and this is what, it, it also progressed into this into adulthood. Well, at least towards teens. And teens, then I started to learn about other stuff in conjunction with that. There, there was alcohol, there was drugs, there was things like that I started getting involved with, but my food was always keeping up. It was always keeping large. In fact, I remember actually being together with somebody getting in a relationship with a girlfriend um, who can eat like me, hang out like me. You know, we always uh, used to uh, pride ourselves being foodies. We were always going to the best restaurants and the best this and the best that. But you know what? Then afterwards, we were always going to, like, the, the, the various delis and bodegas and getting whatever cheap, you know, food, you know. So it, it didn't really matter. However, I was trying to put a face on it like I was I was some fancy eater, you know, it was ridiculous. It was all just vanity and all, you know. Or another thing I would do is get a lot of, of whatever I was eating and then give it to everybody. Like, I'm being so kind. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with everybody. But it's only so I, so people don't take what I have, you know. Um, and that's one of the things. I always thought, like, when I was a child, food is love. They were always pushing that one on me. And uh, I believed that. I believed if I cleaned off my plate that, you know, no harm would come to me. That would be good. But as I as I grew up, everybody eventually was. You know, it was always about me. I remember my dad always telling me, like, um, ever since I was a kid, he was always like, "Oh, you're so fat. Oh, you got to do things." And then you know, I always had the relatives always saying, "You have such a cute face, but you're so fat." You know, all these different things. It was just separating me from everybody. I wanted no part of it. And you know, and by this time, I was a thief. I was a liar anything to get my food. Hey, who ate this thing in the refrigerator? Not me. Really? Seriously? There are crumbs all over your bed. I didn't do it. You know, I just, it was like part of me. I just couldn't stop lying. I couldn't stop stealing. I couldn't stop, you know, just generally just acting out. And I didn't realize it it might have had something to do with the things that I was eating. It's part of, you know, part of it was my pain, but it's, it's a combination of these things. My mom was, was, an overeater as well, and she died 50, 50 years old, as a combination of eating, alcohol, drugs, a combination of just living wrong. And uh, I remember her uh, telling me that I had to change my life. In the hospital, I had to change my life. I had to do something different, and I did not understand how can I do something different, what other options are there for me. I remember holding her dead body and going, you know, what? What can I do to avoid this fate? And you know what my solution was? To eat even more because I couldn't think of a solution, so I might as well hasten myself to the grave. That was my concept. That was my idea. Hmm. I remember uh, holding on to her grave, like, you know, when they had the headstone put in after the year after she passed away. And I, I remember crying at the gravestone and just saying, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to change My life, I don't know, and I just—I guess that day I made this prayer to my mom and said, you know, please help me, God, help me. And I didn't realize by just that small little bit, that small little bit of willingness, that you know, my prayers were about to be answered in a big way. Um, A friend of mine, uh, uh, who who had gotten sober. Um, that I used to know from the partying days. Um, he, I saw him, and he looked great. He looked awesome. And he told me that he'd gotten sober. So then I didn't understand how. I didn't understand how he was doing that. So um, I ended up coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, doing the steps over there. That's where I was first. He gave me a big book, and I was like, what's this? Big? It's the big book. Yo, that thing is small. He gave me this little tiny book. This is a big book? Are they being ironic? What's going on with this? And I didn't realize that it's all about the information inside. And once I got myself a sponsor and uh, started going through the the 12 steps as it's laid out in the big book, that my life began to change. And I started to learn to to be honest, and I started to learn to develop this relationship with a power greater than myself. And I'm going to go into how I did that, but I want to speak about OA, because I remember... Um, being with uh, my AA sponsor and we were doing some stuff at a diner. Boy, did I love doing that because what I could do is order as much food as I wanted to uh, and then follow that up with a shake or then follow that up with um, uh, some dessert. And I remember reaching over to lick the plate and right when I was going to lick the plate, my sponsor grabbed the plate. Actually, he didn't grab it out of my hands, but we were both holding on to the plate. And I'm like forcibly, you know, I'm a person that's supposedly did the steps, doing the things, we're doing the traditions now, and he's grabbing this plate out of my hand, and I'm saying, I have the right to lick this plate. I paid for it. I paid for the food, so I could lick this plate. And he said, you might want to look into a program that will, you know, now that you've got the alcohol and drugs pretty much under control, you might want to look into another program uh, that's going to save your life. And I was like... What do you mean? But wait a second! I knew what he meant. I understood completely where he was coming from. And uh, I remember right when I got my first year in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. The next day, the next day, I remember is um, November first, two thousand and eight. That that is when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I and I thought I was going to be slick because I, I my plan for Overeaters Anonymous is, I thought, I did the step work I, in AA, so I don't have to do the step work in OA. All I have to do is just come in, get some literature, I'll read that, and I'll be cured. I will be cured. you know. My, 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 what I wanted for myself is I want it to be 200 pounds. I want to be 200 pounds, I'll, 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 it'll be perfect. It'll be great. That's what I want. I wanted a diet. That, that would be cool. I'm going to go in there, get some literature, read about how the people in OA do it, and um, I'll be cool. But you know what? I started getting scared about going to OA because I was afraid because um, since I was 296 pounds, I felt, now there are going to be people in there. I know some people are going to be overeaters. Some people are going to be undereaters. There's going to be anorexic people in there. And anorexic people, you know what? They, they have a perception where they believe that, um, that, uh, that everybody, that, that they have this body dysmorphia thing where they believe that they're, fat when they're really thin. And I, and I said, oh, no, so when they see me, they're going to think I'm really, really,
3: really, really, really
4: fat.
1: Yeah. The main point is, I, I, from, you know, working with anorexics and working with um, other people from, from this program, I got disabused from that uh, conception. I started to learn that, guess what, it's not about me. It's not about what people are thinking about me. You know what? The people in the room, they're not necessarily thinking about me. They're not thinking about what I'm doing and what, you know what? It's not about me. So that's, that's one of the things I learned. So I came into my first meeting of um, Overeaters Anonymous. I remember it was at Jan Hus. It was the Hope Group, and which is really good because I really needed some hope right there. And um, everybody was kind and gentle with me. And I came in and I said, where is your literature? is your literature around here somewhere? And they said, we don't have any literature. You might want to go to another meeting for that. I was like, no literature? This is ridiculous. I'm I'm out of here, you know. But, you know, I luckily, people were really kind with me. I, I sat down and I relaxed, and they said, you know, listen. I sat, and I listened to other people, and guess what? I started to have identification with the other people, what they were talking about, what their disease took it. Where And it's so great, because it was people that you know, some people were agnostic. They didn't believe in God as, as, as I understand it, and, and they were getting recovery. There were people that were anorexic, and they were getting recovery. There were people who were bulimics, or exercise bulimics, or you know, just normal compulsive overeaters, and they were getting recovery. How are they getting all this recovery? And There's no literature around here. Um, so I found out one of the things I had to do was get a sponsor Get a sponsor. I already did AA. Oh, AA. I don't don't need to get a sponsor in OA. And then they told me the most important thing. Guess what? Credits don't transfer over. Yeah, you think you got some time in AA? You think you're all gangster? Well, guess what? You're going to have to do the work over here too. This is a program of action and vigorous action. So I had to to concede to myself that, yeah, guess what? I'm going to have to go get a sponsor. So I heard about this other meeting that they had. Um, that had literature. Oh, a a side note about that other meeting. Um, I remember uh, after that, I kept going back to that meeting, and I ended up becoming their literature chair and making sure that they had literature and also um, uh, newcomer packets for people that are new that came in. So if you ever get a resentment about a meeting that they don't have what you want, well, guess what? You have to be the change that that, that you want to see. So, If you want literature at a meeting, you know what, get involved. Get into those business meetings and say, hey, we should have literature, or we should have something for the newcomer. And yeah, they'll do it. Now, um, at at the first uh, meeting with literature, I went to, I got my literature. I got my newcomer's packet. I was so happy. Um, I was like, okay, so where's your guy's big book? And they're like, "Uh, we have the same big book. Same big book? Great. I don't have to do any more work. No, get a sponsor. So I remember uh, this was the Skylight meeting, and uh, this was when it was at St. Vincent's, and the people, uh, they raised their hand at, if they could sponsor And, and uh, you know, there was a guy there, and I just ran over to him, and uh, because I was always intimidated. I was like, there's a lot of women in, in OA. I, I, I'm, I'm intimidated, you know, because, uh, you know, I have issues. I don't really talk to women a lot or, you know, things like that, and uh, yeah, they're going to be looking at me, and I'm going to be all fat. <laughs> so, it's all ego. It's just all such ego. And I talk to this gentleman, and I'm jumping up and down, waving my hands around. And I'm, I'm going, yeah, telling him what I want. I want to lose weight. I want to be at least 200 pounds. i got to do this. I want to look good, and all this stuff. And he's like, wait. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to lose weight. He's like, no, man, wait, man. What you got to do is we're going to do the steps. I was like, we're going to do the steps? I did the steps already. And he's like, no, man, you've got to do the steps again. And you know what, at that moment, I was just willing to do anything. I was willing to go to any length to, to, to get this recovery. And you know what they say? You come for the vanity and you stay for the sanity. Well, you know what? I wanted to lose weight. Um, you know what? They say uh, you need a. Originally in the big book when it first came out, they said uh, you have to have an honest desire to stop drinking. Well, I did not have an honest desire to come in here. I had a dishonest desire. I had a dishonest desire to just lose weight and then get, get a girlfriend and get the heck out of there. That was my plan. And funny that how things turn out because they say, you know, come in and do the steps and then the steps are going to do you because you think that you're coming in for whatever reason, whatever vain reason that you're coming in for and then what I learned is that from doing the step work as it's laid out in the big book, that means the steps go in order for a reason, you know, it you will change. You will change without your permission. You know, you will start to learn, but let me go back with, with my, my first sponsor. So he started giving me all these uh, assignments to do. He said that we're going to, all right, start going through the Big Bug, start going through the 12 and 12 and OA, you are gonna underline things. You're going to talk about things. How does this pertain to food? I mean, because I, I did this in AA, man. I, I, don't, I don't got – no, man. You got to do it about how it pertains to food, how it pertains to, you know, this. So I'm underlining stuff and you, things that have to do with food, things that don't have to do with the food. How can you apply these things? And I was just like, oh, okay, man, I was willing to just do anything, anything. Meet them at a meeting? Yeah, 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 do it. Get people's numbers and call them? Yeah, 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 I'll do it. Do a service commitment? Yes, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Because I just, so, you know, people say you're sick and tired. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of the run around. sick and tired of uh, doing it over and over again, The, you know, All these things I keep doing over and over again. And and I can't stop myself. I can't stop myself from eating. I can't stop myself from hiding these things, trying to think I'm slick, you know, going from one thing to another, leaving things in the refrigerator and going back over there over and over again. I mean, for goodness sakes, I had the CPAP machine pushing air into my lungs while I slept. I wouldn't go up normal stairs because, uh, you know, I would go... I would go to train stations that had elevators because I didn't want to walk up the stairs. Um, I couldn't go from street to street to street without hitting every single newsstand on the block for whatever snack food I was going to get. I just couldn't stop anymore. I couldn't stop anymore. I remember um, rifling through a candy store, and uh, the guy at the candy store was like, stop doing that. Will you stop doing that? And he was like, and, and me and him made a deal that he would, buy me the exclusive candy that I was looking for if I would stop rummaging through all his candy looking for extra pieces of this candy. And then he bought a box for himself and he bought a box for me. So I bought it. It was 120 pieces or something like that. And I ate every single one. And I came back the next day and bought his box. And the guy was just shaking his head at me. Shaking his head. And I was like, dude, I'm buying it. I'm paying my money. I remember waking up rolling around in bed, waking up covered with wrappers, sweaty, messy, unshaven and kept, smelling horrible, could barely wipe. And I'm a school teacher, man. I remember, you know, people would make fun of me the way I walked. It was just, and and your school kids are relentless. I'll tell you one thing. If, if there's something to make fun of, they will bum rush it. Okay. And, and luckily for me, doing the step work and, and I'm going uh, to, go through it, like kind of how I, I did it with my sponsor. Um, first thing he had me doing is we, we would sit and we would read the big book together. We would read it again. But I've read this big book before. No, nah, man, you've got to read it again with new eyes. And what I found out as, as I was doing this stuff, um, I started getting more honest. Because I thought I was being honest before, but, but you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't. You know. and, and I, But I knew this. I got this. You know, but the self-knowledge is was killing me. And and slowly but surely, I they always recommend that you might want to get a nutritionist and, and get a food plan and follow that thing, um, which is kind of important. That's one of the, the things that even divided OA because, you know, some splitter groups wanted to go because they wanted to hold fast to their, their food plan. And I understand that, but it's a separate thing because there's a whole bunch of people here that have a whole bunch of different trigger foods and a whole bunch of different things. So, you know... I, I stuck to my food plan, handled my business, and my sponsor lovingly saw that when I first came in and started doing the things, I started losing weight too rapidly. He adjusted my food plan, and I was able to pray about that and be cool with that. And, uh, you know, because I wanted to find every way to be up to shenanigans. I remember telling him all sorts of things, uh, you know, trying to trick things to get my way, and my sponsor was just so kind and so loving with me. And he was just like, you know... You might not want to do that, man. It's like what you know—that stuff that you're trying to eat there. You know, it's oily and it's this and it's that. It might not be good for you. You know, do what you want. Oh, do what you want. I hate when people say "do what you want." They're trying to trick me. They're trying to use some of that psychology on me. But you know what? I was a willful person. I wanted what I wanted when I wanted. I wanted whatever I wanted, and slowly but surely, um, praying—you know—praying every day doing my best to meditate every day, doing what was recommended of me, doing the step work, and things got better for me. Things got better for me. As, as you can tell, yeah, my life was pretty, pretty helpless here. And then once I started going through the stuff about, you know, the second step. Now, I had a concept of a power greater than myself. I got it in AA. And, and, you know, I went to Catholic school and I was tortured by that, but I was able to get past all that and move to a concept of... a a power greater than myself, one that embodies the universe. And the universe is gigantic. I mean, the amount of it that we can see, it's a miracle that we even know it's there. Um, so I was able to embody all that and, and get with this power that's greater than myself. This universe is so beautiful to behold. It's so gigantic. It's so wide. It's so encompassing me. And, it, it, and it's like to be a person alive on this planet at this time, you know, this is amazing. It's amazing that we all crisscross and, and run into each other or talk to each other on phone and connect. We are people that would not regularly mix. We weren't. So the fact that we even get to the synchronicity, we share this nightmare, the, but we share these problems that we have, but we also share the solution. And that solution is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right? So once I started getting, getting down, I was able to concede uh, that there's a power greater than myself and can and take that third step with my sponsor. Get down on my knees and pray. Do, do my third step prayer with him without hesitation. You know, because my, my sponsor was big on asking me, are you ready to this? You sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? Because a lot of the reasons that I've seen with a lot of experiences of people that I've worked with, a lot of people usually go out, they go out over two things. One thing they usually go out is over their fourth step. And a lot of the reasons that I've seen that people go out over their fourth step is because they don't have a steady and and unshakable third step. If you don't don't buy into a point of some power greater than yourself, and even if you're agnostic, I've worked with agnostics. I've worked with people that straight up do not believe in a God. And you know what? They're still able to get this because they have to believe in something greater than themselves. They have to understand if, if you could get to a point where you completely are able to give up surrender, completely. You know, believe me, this disease had me completely defeated, destroyed, and I knew that every time I pick up, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. So, I couldn't do that anymore. I had to put together all, the, all those, those things. You know, every time i try to do it, I would go back every three days, you know, and I can't do it anymore. So, once I surrender those things, and start getting into the work, things get a little better. So, now I have this third step thing going on. I have this God. Um, I signed my contract, I did that that prayer, you know, God I offer myself to be to build with me and do with me as thou wilt, you know. Because I want that that bondage of self. You know, I'm gonna put it into my higher power's hands to take away the difficulties. And that any victory I get, it's my higher power. People come up to me, Phil, you looking good, you know, and this and that. <laughs> And, yeah, it's so funny. Charles from OA, he said, you know, I know I look good. And, yeah, he does, man. And, yeah, when I would see myself in the mirror now, I was starting to change. I was starting to lose weight. But then when I started noticing, um, there was more work to do. Started doing my fourth step. Started, and, and it's so awesome. When I started doing the fourth step work, you know, you go through the, the first column and you write down all the things you resent at, I had resentment, I was resentful at lots of different things, people stopped me from getting food, people stopped me from this or that, or not even food related things, just things that I was angry at, you know being molested as a kid, this thing, that thing I would write stuff down, write all these things down, write everything, you just write name, institution place, person, things you write these things down, all columns, straight down, and you know, a lot of people get caught up in the thing, they're going to do one, then the other column, then the other column, they get twisted up just do columns, straight down Straight down. And once I had all those things written down, then I started writing down the second column. I started writing down, why do I have resentment out Why am I sore at these people? I'm sore at this girl because she didn't talk to me. Or she ignored me. She snubbed me. You know, all these different things. You write those things down. I write, you know, the education system, it failed me. I don't feel so smart. You know, all these different things I put down. You know, this cake, it forced me to eat it. Oh. Write that down. So, you know, you write down all those things. And then after that, you're going to have to put down, what do these things affect? You know, sometimes I, I just put little, little symbols, you know. Does it affect your pride? Does it affect, you know, your relationship? Is, uh, does it affect your, your thing with people? Does it affect your pocketbook? Yeah, I spent all that money on that cake. Okay. Um, ambitions, uh, you know, your security, your, you know, pride. You know, all these different things. Self-esteem. So once I got all those things going down, I had to write those things for each one, or at least I just circle them. I had them all initial, and I circled them all. And then after that, then you start going through the, through the other things. You start seeing, you know, where am I being selfish? Where am I being self-seeking? Where am I being dishonest? Where am I being afraid? And by taking a closer look at that, I start to see... You know, I'm the one that's doing this. I'm stepping on people's toes. I'm doing all these things. I'm setting the ball rolling. I'm doing all this stuff. How did this happen? I thought it was, everybody was doing this to me. I thought the world was happening to me. Everybody's hurting me. But then I found out that, guess what? A lot of it has to do with what I'm doing. You know, it's me. You know, I'm, 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 it says, you know, this is a big book for me I better start throwing out some you know, big book numbers and stuff that, you know, uh, page 80, uh, what is that, 62, it says, sometime in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be harmed. And yeah. And right after that it says our troubles, we think, are of our own making. You know, they arise out of ourselves. The alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Yeah. Selfish self-centeredness, that's me. I hate that. I hate that. I didn't want to be that. Oh, if I hate it so much, I should write it down and put that on my fourth step list, right? Yeah, it says over here. And they they give us the reason why. We're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. It takes me back all the way to my childhood. I didn't feel safe. You know? But the main point is, I can't control those things. I can't control those things, and luckily for me, I was able to go through this stuff with a, with a sponsor, and when we went through my fifth step, there was stuff on there that I did not want to say, stuff that I was completely scared that if I told him I did these things, he would hate me, because it was all about me, people pleasing other people, and not about, you know, what's really going on. What's really going on. See, when you write out your inventory, you're supposed to be looking at, it at the point of, you know, you're a store, and if you work for the store, you don't want to have these unsaleable goods, right? But the main point is, you know, we hold on to it. Me personally, I'll say for myself, I hold on to this lovingly because I have all these character defects that I'm holding on to because I love them so much because they protected me as a child. They kept me safe as a child. But you know what? They no longer work. So if they don't work, I might have to throw those things out. This camera, I got to throw that out. A 126 camera, a 110 camera, you better throw that out. You know, you got that Atari 2600, you better throw that out. The main point is, you don't need those things anymore. These, these old ideas of food is going to help me. Food is just food. I used to put personalities on that. This is my, my lover, this is my girlfriend, this is my, this is my thing, this is my everything, this is my solution. And you know what? I got a bigger solution now. I got a power greater than myself that I personally like to call God. And my God can handle all my problems, not just food, everything. In all my affairs. You know, and I have to get straight to this. I have to understand this. You know, I don't want to be miserable anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have these resentments anymore. You know, because you know they say resentment is the number one effect. Offender, resentments it's fatal. You can die from this, even if you're, you're justified. Yo, I got molested as a kid. I'm justified. I have the right to be angry at this person. You know what? The person that molested me is long dead. You know, but guess what? From talking to my sponsor and that, I was able to see that I was holding on to that. I was replaying the tapes in my head over and over and over again people that hurt me, people that harmed me. A lot of them aren't even thinking about me, but it's me thinking about it over and over and over again, holding on to these resentments, nursing them, making them stronger. I don't want to nurse them anymore. I don't want to to hold on to these things anymore. They are killing me. They are making me eat, and they're getting me one step closer to death. I have a, a friend of mine who passed away. We used to hang out together. We used to eat together, and, um, you know, I remember seeing him in the hospital. He had got his leg amputated. He had uh, diabetes. And uh, I remember right when he got his leg amputated, I went to go visit him. And he said, I want to eat like you. I want to do the healthy thing like you. And then a friend of his also came in throwing him a bag of junk food. And he said, at last, real food. And I couldn't help him. The next year, I was burying him. I was looking at him in his coffin and saying, you know, what could I have done? And the truth is, I can't can't help him. He has a power greater than himself that he has to acknowledge and he has to, you know, be able to do the work, but he wasn't willing to do it. And now I was looking at his grave. Happens. People will die. We are temporary people. One day I will die too. But the main point is this. What condition do you want to go? What condition do you want to do? You know, there's a solution here. It's called the 12 steps. If you're in a 12-step program, this is a 12-step program. OA is a 12-step program. If you're not doing that, you know, you're just hanging here. If you're just, you know, doing don't don't compulsively eat and go to meetings and you're still compulsively eating and sort of going to meetings, how is that benefiting you? I mean, take what you can get. That's true. But avail yourself. When a student is ready, the teacher shall appear. There's going to be people that are going to be giving out their numbers. They could sponsor you. They could help take you through the steps and do the step work. You know, you're going to learn stuff. I learned that, you know, when I get angry at people and resentment towards people, I could pray for them. This is a sick person. How could I be helpful to them? You know, keep me from being angry. You know, there's, there's things to be done. There's all these things to be done. Um, doing my sex inventory, there are people that I harmed. And I went and I made amends. And um, when, when when it came down to that, oh, going first going through your character defects, looking at all these different things you go over again, I'm envious, I'm jealous, I'm all these things. I, you know, that, that caused me to act out. And I started noticing when I went through my fifth step, the same character defects kept coming up over and over and over again. Luckily for me, um, we're able to write those character defects down. And then you get together and you pray to have your higher power remove them. Does it always happen? Well, Eventually it does, but the main point is it's on God's time or your higher power's time, not your time.
3: I want it removed immediately.
1: You know what? You pray for it to be removed. You act as if it's removed. And the main point is when you find yourself going to act out on that thing, you might want to pause, give yourself a moment, and chill for a second, and then, you know, not do it. My immediate reaction is to eat. If I'm preparing my food or if I'm doing, uh, you know, making food for the week for my thing, my urge would be to pick at the, at the thing. No, dude, I don't do that anymore. I don't even lick my fingers. I really don't because you know I have a napkin on hand and I will wipe my hands because once it starts to licking fingers and stuff like that, I don't want to bite. I want some of that. And you know what? I can't do that anymore. I can't do it. It doesn't help me. It does not benefit me. And eventually it is just killing me. I don't want to die. It, we all die sometime and i accept that but what condition do i want to die i saw the condition my mother was in when she died she was struggling she was gasping for air my friend who passed away with diabetes with his leg amputated you know he had to go through a lot of stuff he had to go through a lot of rehabilitation all these things and he still still died from this disease simple solution they didn't say it was easy it's simple The step work is there. You do the work, you find somebody. I mean, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor that took them through the big book as I'm taking some of the people that I take through the big book. And what I started noticing is uh, immediately after I, I started doing the work, my sponsor had me go out there and start sponsoring people because people are dying out there. People are dying. And it's a slow, painful, anguishing death. It, I don't know if anguishing is a word, but okay. You know, yeah, and it hurt. It hurt me physically, breathing, existing. I just wanted to die. Um, when I got to the point where I wrote down my, uh, my eighth step list, I'm writing down all the people that I've harmed, and I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, I don't want to do these amends. I don't want to do these amends. Shut up. It's only the eighth step. You're writing it down. You're writing it all down. So I wrote down all the people that I harmed, and then ninth step amends, prayed about things, start making amends, people that I harmed, my, my ex-wife, I harmed her, I treated her bad, I did all these things, and I sat with her, and I looked her in the eye, and I was able to make my amends with her, and explain to her that I'm not doing these things anymore, not doing these things, and she, she knew, she knew, I had changed, I had physically changed, I lost over 100 pounds at that point, I looked physically different, but most importantly, I was different inside. I started thinking, once you get halfway through your ninth step, you know, those promises that they're always talking about, those things start to come true. What about, you know, fear of financial insecurity? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you'll, you'll have less fear about financial insecurity. It's not like you won't have financial insecurity, but you won't be so fearful of it. You know, all the things in the past that I, that I went through, I was able to use those experiences to help other people. You know, um, all of these different things started coming true to me. I started, you know, started being useful. I stopped thinking about myself all the time. And I started getting out of my head and started helping other people. Started getting involved. Started, you know, once you start reaching out there and once you start getting sponsees and taking them through the work, yo, know, your life is going to completely change because you're going to start to understand the way you, <laughs> the way that you acted when you first came in. The that's going to keep it green for you. You're going to see a bunch of people doing the exact same stuff and. You know, you just say lovingly all the stuff that your sponsor told you, the way that your sponsor made you feel calm, the way your sponsor said, breathe, and you sit and you breathe, you pray with your sponsees, you talk to them, you take their phone calls. If you're their food sponsor, you take their food. You know, just doing those things, getting involved with service, all these different things. You know, it, it's crazy. It's one of the best things ever. Um, doing this, the 10th step. I send the 10th step to my sponsor every day. And also on top of that, I have to do a gratitude list every day. They always say a grateful heart is not going to compulsively overeat. You know, just starting to remember, if you, have to write a, if you have to write a gratitude list of like 15 things a day and they all have to be different, trust me, you're going to start finding things to be grateful for. And you have to understand, not all, you know, even bad stuff, you know, it, bad is a relative term. The main thing is, you know, there, there's a lesson in everything. I'm a school teacher, so what happens is there's a lesson in everything that, that, that I see in life. So, you know, I do my 10th step. If I have resentments, I turn those things over immediately. Or, or, you know, do I owe apologies? You know, have I kept something to myself? You know, all these things, they're all laid out in this book so lovingly, so, so written out there. You, you got to get with it. I mean, I can't tell you what to do. I can only give you a suggestion. For me, this is how it works. You know, this is not my speech today or the thing that I'm saying today. This is coming straight from me. It's coming straight from the heart here. You know, I'm not going to be thumping on this book or anything like that, even though I'd love to, you know. But the main point is it saved my life. You know, it saved my life. It put me in a position where I could have relationships now. I could be in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And it's cool. I'm thinking, how can I be of service here? Instead of, what can I get? What do I want? Less about what I want. When I go to school, I'm not being greedy and being all like, you know, these kids aren't acting right. They're kids that are just being kids. I pray for them. How can I best be of service to them? How can I best be of service to the administration of my school? How can I help? When you start coming with an attitude of that, you can't lose. When you start aligning your will to a power greater than yourself, you can't lose. You can't. All I have to do is just keep doing these things on a daily basis. I can stay abstinent for one day, one day. That's all I get. What about cash and prizes? I want cash and prizes, dude. The cash and prizes is you get to stay abstinent for a day, and if you do everything that you did this day, you get to do it again the next day. And if you're if you're if you're rigorous and if you're honest, you could string together years if you want. But the disease is always out there. I still get. You know, I'll pass by things, and things will smell good. You know, whoa, hey, that smells pretty good. But you know what? I can't have that. That's not my food. I understand that. And sometimes things are getting really, like, tempting or something like that, and I'll be like, God, remove this of character from me. You know, I know that this thing is not going to help me. This, taking this bite is going to send me out there, and I was in hell. You know, I remember getting, like, that kind of reflux when I'm sleeping or the fat in the back of my throat going back there and choking me in the middle of the night not knowing if I was going to wake up dead the next day, and getting the snoring surgery, and it didn't work. So that's because that's just how big I was. They sewed my tongue down so that my tongue wouldn't stick out big enough because they thought that my tongue would go to the back of my throat and suffocate me. I don't want to do that again. And you know what? The disease is doing push-ups out there, so, you know, people say that, but, You know, yeah, it really is. They say, if you go back out there, you're going to start exactly where you left off. And a lot of people, you know, I've seen a lot of people that went out there and came back and nobody out there said it was great. It was fantastic. I ate everything I wanted to eat. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, you could, but it's not doing, it's not filling that hole in the soul anymore. You know what? OA really ruins my eating like that. You know, I can't chomp into whatever I wanted to chomp into and be happy with that. I can't because I know the truth. I know that I have to do these things. Um, Eleven step, praying, meditating. Praying, you're talking to God. Not saying, God, give me this, give me that. God ain't Santa Claus. This ain't no Santa Claus thing. All right? This is like, I'm not, God isn't a genie. You know, please grant my wishes. No, man, no. What I do is I ask, could other people be helped? If it's going to be something for me, it's going to be like, help me be of service to help other people so I could help, you know, be a better service to you. And I do this all the time. I mean, there are some times that some classes, I know i got a difficult class coming in, and I pray, like, God, please help me get through this. <laughs> Seriously. And it works. It works every time I survive it. And the rewards are great. Twelfth step working with others, the highlight of my day, the highlight of my life, the people that call me, I am so grateful. Things that I do, I go out places and speak, you know, Sometimes speak at hospitals, speak at other places. Doing service, going to meetings, helping create meetings, helping do service at meetings, it is awesome. Your life will change. If you don't have meetings around you and you have basically phone meetings, get involved with the phone meetings. There's service to be done. You know They want you to read something, read something. They want you to do something, do something. Get numbers, talk to others. A lot of the times when I talk to others, in the beginning I used to be complain, complain, complain. They always say, bring the mess to the bring the mess to your sponsor, bring the message to the meeting. And that's one of the important things that I've learned. That the more that I keep on trying to do my best to bring the solution that has been handed to me through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous as it's written in this big book over here and applied to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, just to prove that this thing works.
5: This thing works.
1: You know, the shortest the shortest sentence in the big book. It works, it really does. Dude, yeah, it totally does. I mean for me personally, I will say, yeah, it does. It saved my life. It's changed my life. It gave me a life. You know what they would say? It gave me a life beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. You know, my wildest dreams was to be 200 pounds. I'm like 159 pounds. You know, I'm right back and forth between there and there. And uh, you know what? That's cool. You know what? I don't get hung up on it. I only weigh myself once a month, and then I put it away. It's cool. I used to weigh myself every second. Of the day, focusing on that, like the number is gonna make me happy. Once I'm up this number, I'll I'll be happy. No. I started to learn how to live. I started to learn how to do things. I started to learn how to get involved, be a participant in life, you know, do other things that help me with my recovery. I do some Tai Chi. I do this, I do that. There's so much stuff to do. There's so much of a bigger life. My life was sitting home, being home and eating. And now I have this life. It's big, it's beautiful, it's great. Yo, ask me anything you want, man. I'm here for you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And, yo, thanks for keeping me abstinent and sober today. Thank you.
0: Phil, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story of transformation with us this morning. It's taking us, Thank you. Taking us on the journey through the steps. Thank you very, very much. I'm going to repeat Phil's contact information before we open the floor for questions. You can reach Phil D., at the following phone number, and that is 646-409-4261. That's Eastern Standard Time. Again, 646-409-4261. If you'd like to email Phil, you can do that as well, and his email address is checkerphil all one word, C-H-E-C-K-E-R-P-H-I-L at gmail.com. Now we'll open the floor for any questions you might have for Phil this morning on anything he shared uh, related to the program of recovery. Please let's limit it to questions, and you can... Begin by pressing star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Thanks. Hello. Yes, hi this is Jackie.
2: From West Virginia. All right, sure.
0: <laughs> the water is warm. Jump in. Good morning, Jackie. Go ahead and start. Hi, hi Phil.
2: Thank you very, very much. You were. Sound like you were telling my story. Um, my one question ab- about your process is when um, you first started, were you up and down in, in your food plan? Did you go out every couple weeks or, or how did that go for you?
1: Girl, I was a hot mess. Let me tell you this. Um, I remember, um, you know, like I said, I would always try to finagle different kinds of foods going on there, trying to say, oh, you know what? This pie had fruit in it. It's, 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 it's a fruit, right? And he was just like, no. And that would constantly keep happening. And then um, I, remember, I remember once stringing together 90 days because I was just so conceited. I was like, they're going to let me speak at 90 days. And then I got to 90 days and I went out day 91. Ouch, that hurt. You know, the crushing blow to my ego, but you know what? This is an ego-crushing program, and I realized I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. Once I started realizing, you know, this is not why I'm doing it so I could speak, you know, then opportunities, it's so funny, it's such a weird thing that when you're not doing it to speak, then all of a sudden, you get to speak, you know, when you're not doing it for the reason that you want to, but yeah, I was constantly up and down, total mess, but you know what? Once I started getting around to that second step, third step, then you know, started turning it over to a power greater than myself, I was able to start staying abstinent. Oh, here's here's what I'll say. July 1st, 2009, I got abstinent. Um, and um, November 1st, 2008, I came in. So that's, what, five, six months, seven months, just screwing around.
2: Yeah. hmm Thank you, Phil. I really enjoyed listening to you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie, for the question. Much appreciated. Yes, go ahead.
3: Hi, uh, Leah and Phil. This is Kathy in Boston, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Phil. Um, It was really wonderful to hear your story. And I am interested in knowing more about your service work and, in particular, um, what you do when you encounter someone who, I guess is like you were, and I was when I first came to these rooms, who's not really willing uh, to do the steps. How long do you stay around and um you know what what
1: so it's very that's very pertinent. Um, the main thing is that let's see, oh, you want to hear the best the best thing? This is a big book meeting, so I would say, hey, the answer is in the big book. Um, the main thing is, first, you have to be the example. You are the example. The big book has no pictures. I'm looking in here, there's no pictures. You are the picture of the recovery. So once people see my pictures, like when I show people my pictures whenever I speak at a thing, then people start to become more willing. You know, They say, whoa, dude, you lost this amount of weight. But if they're not willing to do it, it says here at the top of 96, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond. Right? Search out another uh, alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. Mm. And, and it says here, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you, period. So you know what? My original sponsor in AA, he, he was chasing somebody around, and when his sponsor told him, drop that guy and get somebody else that's willing, he got me, and he changed my life. So trust me, if you're sitting there trying to work with somebody that does not want to work with you, don't do that. You're, um, that's killing somebody else that wants your help. So do that.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Kathy, for the question. Right on. Anyone else? Don't be shy. It's all yeah, good. So let's not be shy here, people. Oh, wait, you know who's the best one to share?
1: Hey, who doesn't want to share out there? You should come <laughs> talk to me. If you don't want to ask a question, that you should ask me a
0: question. That's right. I heard a voice. Please identify.
5: Who's this? Barbara. Sarah. Hey, Barbara. Barbara
0: and then Gail, did I hear? Sarah. Sarah. Okay, so let's start with Barbara, please. Thanks.
2: Hi, my question is, as a step sponsor, what percentage of the people that you work with get all the way to 12?
0: Let's see.
1: Hmm. Man, oh, man. Yep. Let's see. I would say... A lot of I uh, got a lot of people stalled on their on their fourth step. It has a lot, but I got a couple that that have done done twelve, done twelve. Yeah, sure, three or four. Um, but um, and the ones that are, they're working with sponsees. I had one that stopped at eleven because he didn't want to get a sponsee.
2: Can you believe that?
1: You know, but you know, people do it the way they want to do it. You know, you know, I can't force anybody. All I can do is just give the give the information the way it was given to me. That's all I can do. I'm concerned how far they go, but I tell you one thing: once they get to twelve and they start working with other people, then I could get another sponsee. So, there it is.
0: Thanks, Barbara, for the questions. Sarah, your turn.
5: Good morning, Phil. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your story. This is Sarah, grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Um, hey. Hey. um I have a question about um, dual addiction. Oh uh, um, yeah. Okay, and the only and and I'm also uh, dual addicted also, but anyway, uh, you know I have a gal that's really wanting help, but she's only two months in AA sober, and wow. I know this be you a know, little bit personal and that kind of thing, but you know the thing is that she really wants help with the with the uh, compulsive overeating, and um, you know my understanding it's a God thing I think totally, and it's very mm-hmm. I think um, individual for people. And whenever I sponsor, I try to ask God to help me know what the right things are to say because we're just a vessel, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, a year of sobriety before starting an OA program, I don't know. You know, what's your thought about it? Just briefly, if you would, please.
1: Oh, sure, sure. My personal experience on that, when I first came in, um, my sponsor wanted me to at least get get my year in before I started OA uh, luckily, by the time that we started rustling around OA, it was already getting towards that the end of my year, so I was able to go in immediately. But uh, the main reason they want that is because in your first year, like they always, you know how they always say, no major changes in the first year. People are, you know, they're forming this relationship. They're forming this relationship with with a sponsor. They're getting honest with that sponsor, and then they in order. And then from there, they're germinating forth and being able to be honest with other people. So once they got their first year pretty solid, then they could start moving to other things because then they're able to get deeper in the steps and things along those lines. If you're trying to do too many things and have too many sponsors at that point in time, you know, I, I've i seen people try it and it did not work out well. I, I, found, I found that having that first year, you know, just stay in contact with the person and just say, you know, work on work on the order of the things that are killing you. If drinking and drugs or whatever are killing you, you work on that one first, get your first year in, do your step work. And then once that year's up, get on over here and start doing this rigorously and honestly. And besides that, yeah.
0: Thank you Sarah for the question. Who's next? star 1 to unmute Hi, this is
6: Tara from DC.
0: Hi, Tara. Wait, go go ahead.
6: ahead. Um, I have a question um actually with um relation to the last one. Um I'm just going through the steps now for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm finding the clearer that things get, the more other issues I'm finding. Like I'm like shopping is a major trigger for me. Uh I can't stay yep. at the stores. I can't stay at especially grocery stores or like recipe shopping. And I've been – this morning, it's funny that this, the last question came up because I started looking for shopping groups um, because it's such a trigger for food for me. And I'm wondering – and I, and I like what you said earlier about how you can't do – like the steps don't translate for each group. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there, within the, this community there are some sort of coping mechanisms to stop those triggers or things or place or, you know – some sort of information for me to be able to continue to work these steps in eating and sort of not you know, indulge in these triggers that I'm having right now.
1: Right, yeah. You don't want that to expand to a, a DA thing so for people that do debtors anonymous and things along those lines that have to do with the money programs. Um, but like I said, you might want to wait a year after that. And you know what they say? When people first came into like AA and stuff like that, they're always like, oh, yeah, you could have a candy bar or something like that, and, you know. And they always say it's a it's thing that's going to satiate you for that thing. So you might be doing the shopping thing right now. How long are you in? How long are you um, in? I
6: I just came um I just came back. I, I was introduced to the program over the summer, but really just a few weeks.
1: Okay, so you know just focus right now on doing your step work rigorously and honestly, and you'll start to notice that stuff's beginning to subside. And if you st- if it's still bothering you within a year, then look start looking into DA or any of the other shopping groups. You know, there there are some stuff out there. But focus on doing your steps rigorously, honestly, and, you know, take that action. And you'll start to notice that some of those other things, don't start trying to transfer, the the disease starts to transfer itself to other spots, starts trying to affect it. But it's all the big umbrella of alcoholism, you know, this, this belief that we need things to fill us. And if you need other things, shopping, things like that to fill you, you know, It's not necessarily the case. What you need is a relationship with a power greater than yourself. Start focusing on that. Get that third step nice and steady and start handling the fourth step and going up.
0: Thanks, Tara, for the question. We call that switching seats on the Titanic. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone else this morning with a question for Phil?
2: Hi, Phil.
0: I heard a few people. Let's try again. Hilda? <laughs> Hilda, Who else?
7: Hi, this Janet. is Kenya from New York.
0: Say it again, I'm sorry. Kenya from New York. Okay. Kenya from New York. Okay, let's start with Hilda and then we'll go to Henya and then we'll catch the others. Go ahead, please. Thanks.
2: Hi, it's Hilda. Um, I have a question. I um I know that I need to practice the te- the steps more rigorously and so I wouldn't have these um Confusion and urges when I go to, when I, I I go out with friends and um, dates and family members, and they're able to have you know, the the food that I can't have, the, the, especially the treats like after a meal, mm-hmm. and, or even before the meal, or even before the treats, you know, the bread and all. And lately, I'm having a hard time with that. It seems like everyone I'm with can do things that I can't do, and I know I I, I know I'm like. In need of practicing the steps, and I do have a sponsor and all. But lately, I'm feeling so deprived, and I, I just wanted to ask, how, how do you deal with moments personally when when that then when you're faced with that when that those challenges come up?
1: That happens a lot to me. That happens a lot, and it's so funny. Main thing I always have to my mantra is that's not my food. And you know what? People are like, don't you feel deprived? Don't you feel deprived? And it's like, you know. It's like the case in the big book where they said, we saw others drinking with impunity. But, you know, that's not us. We have this disease. I have a disease of mind, body, and spirit. I have this threefold disease that will kill me. So I can't have those things. Yeah, people can have bread and stuff like that and start busting out the whatever the stuff they're going to put on it. Yeah, I can't have that. So if I'm, if I'm with people that understand that and the bread, table comes, the bread basket comes my way, I just say, you know, put, put it over there. Put it over there. And sometimes when I'm hanging out with people, and then when it gets time that, that they're going to start ordering desserts, they could order their desserts, and then it's time for me to leave. I don't want to sit there and you know and watch you eat. I don't. At the end of the at the end of the day, it's time. I show up at the party early and I leave early. And uh, I even learned to to go to parties where they people have the hors d'oeuvres and they're bringing them around. I learned how to stick my hands out and say stop in the name of love and uh, keep people moving cause, you know. Learning no is a complete sentence, I don't got to explain why I'm saying no, it's not for me, I don't want it, I don't have to explain that it's going to kill me, I don't want to have to explain that I have a disease, I just say no thank you and keep it moving. And it's hard, you have to do a lot of praying here and if there's people that know that you have this situation, make sure some people know ahead of time. Also when I go to, the, to, to diners or whatever restaurants, I look up the menu ahead of time, I see what I'm going to get and I order what I order, I never even look at the menu. For me that's sometimes like food porn. I don't wanna look at it. So that's my experience on that.
0: Thank you, Hilda. Kenya, you're next. Go ahead.
7: Hi, can you hear me? Yes.
0: Yep.
7: Hi, this is Kenya from Westchester. And, hey Kenya. Um, this, hi. This is gonna be a weird question, but um, I I really it's something that I it's, it's really been kind of a thing and I try to make believe like it's not a thing but it is. There
0: are um, no
1: but... weird questions.
7: <laughs> okay, so I live in Westchester and um majority of the people I'm 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 Dominican, I'm from the Dominican Republic and hey, hey. everyone <laughs> and I'm twenty eight. And everyone in, in my OA program is um over over forty and everyone's everyone's white. And You know, I I don't have a problem with that, but I I have it's it's been an issue where I don't feel comfortable, and Mm -hmm. because it's it everyone's just so different from me and and I I've been trying really hard to to kind of overcome it, but it's it's you know when it comes to it, um, I'm having a hard day. I want to talk to someone, and it doesn't feel like I'm talking to a peer. It, It feels like I'm talking to like a mother or a superior. Um, you know, someone, someone that's, that's an authority, authority figure because everyone's so much older and, and just from a different culture than me. And I don't know how to overcome that. And I, and I was wondering, because you, you have a similar background with, from me, um, you know, how, if, if that was an issue for you and how you overcame it.
1: Okay, I will tell you this. Now, take into account that OA is mostly women, all right? Now imagine being a man in that thing, like I always think of the pie chart. All right, here's a pie chart, don't think about the pie, but think about the chart. Um, So what happens is, so there's the chart, and then there's only a percentage of, of men, small percentage of men. And then there's a small percentage of black men. Then there's a small percentage of black straight men. It's like tiny, tiny, it's infinitesimal. But the main point is this, how bad do you want recovery? It sounds like to me that um, for me personally, I had to get past all of my prejudices of everything. And I started to learn when I was doing the fourth step, yo, I have some things that I'm prejudiced against. I better stop backing up off that. And I started to learn to uh, start to deal with those things. Because if you want to live, there's a percentage. There's, there's, there's a percentage of people, and you have to get past that. The main point is we have a common problem, and we have a common solution. It's the steps. So, a lot of it is like, yeah, other people have different experiences and other people have different things. But, you know, I'm not going to let that that, uh, that what was it called a the apartness kill me. Because you know what? There's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of guys in the program, and a lot of I think the the reason there's not a lot of guys in the program is because they feel intimidated that this is a a, a dominantly female program. And that is killing people. So I don't want to die today, and I'm willing to go to any lengths to get this thing. What you have to start thinking is what I thought. See where other people are right. Yeah, they might not be from your culture. Yeah, they might not be this or that. But they may have some information. They might have some stuff right now that can help you. And you know what? Keep seeking out other people. You know, I run into people. Believe me, I stand out in a crowd. So when I go to a convention... You know, and I see people that might be Spanish or black or things like that. I talk to them and I say, yo, what's up, man? Yo, hey. You know, you start building up a little posse of your own, you know, so if you don't feel like, you know, there's sometimes people that won't get how I feel. Like I'll talk to my guys, you know, and say, dude, do you ever feel like, you know, this way or that way? And and they'll say, yeah. So so you want to start finding people that you find identification with, but don't start excluding yourself from all the other things because guess what? You could bring a perspective to them that's going to help them. Yeah, you might be a young pup in here and other people might be older
0: than you, but, yo, you bring that solution too, all right?
1: I hope that helps. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Kenya, for that question. Who else would like to ask a question?
2: Hi, it's Holly. I have a question.
0: Holly, your turn.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for your share. I really got a lot out of it. Um, Holly from Connecticut, compulsive overeater. My oh. question is, um, if we're weighing and measuring, because I'm new at this um, at home, and you know I'm able to do that, you know, really well. But mm-hmm. if I get invited out to eat, I've been saying no because um, I think I only have two choices: bring a scale and be seen in front of everyone weighing and measuring, or eat whatever is there that is within. Um, the the things that I'm able to eat. How do we deal with that?
1: Funny that you should mention this. Um, actually, I I deal with this a lot. You should really in Connecticut over there. You do you go to face to face meetings in Connecticut? Just question. Do you? Uh, no,
2: I haven't been able to get there right. yet. I may right. be what going on-
1: is, If you ever do it and they fellowship, go out to fellowship with them and see how they do it. Because what you'll see is this. Everybody brings their scale. <laughs> Everybody brings their scale. And guess what? Here's a good one. People don't really care what you're doing. You know, what are you going to be so embarrassed that you're trying to save your life here? Sometimes I do it. People, you know, some people might ask questions, what you doing? Why are you why are you measuring that thing? And I say, you know, because I have this food plan and I, I need to measure my food. And everybody's like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, great. You know, I'm to a point now that, that, You know, I order certain things, so I don't have to measure it. Like, I order certain things, and what they give me is what they give me. Um, But when it comes down to measuring things, people that I see that measure their stuff, I have some sponsors that are on point with their measuring. They're going to Italy. They're going to all these places, and they are measuring their food. There is no shame in our game. You know, and you know what? Once people start asking questions and like that, they might be interested. They might have problems with food, too, and you will have – A great opportunity for you to say, well, you know, if you want to share and break your anonymity with them and say, you know what, I'm an Overeaters Anonymous and I do this and I weigh my food and it's saving my life. Some people might identify with that. Don't throw that out to everybody, you know what I mean? But sometimes somebody might be asking too many questions to you, there's a reason that they're asking questions, all
0: right? Thanks, Holly. Who's next? This is
2: Kim in Louisiana. Hi, Kim, go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Um, thank you all for your service. Um, I'm newly recovered, and I was just curious if you could tell us, Bill, um, how you apply Step 10 daily.
4: Ah,
1: all right. So Step 10 is uh, where I start doing the taking that inventory, right? Let's get this. Let's, let's, let's make this official. <clears throat> step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Yeah. Great example. Um, it's basically, I have the written inventory where I write out all these different things. I write out. It's basically like writing out a mini fourth step. There are certain, a certain bunch of different things. Or you could do the spot check inventory. Like, you know, when I screw up, perfect example, I, uh, there's a meeting that uh, my AA home group, there was a situation with uh, chairs. Like, you know, you're only allowed to take a chair for you and somebody else. And I was the person that was in charge of making sure that people don't take more than one chair. And somebody called me on it because I was taking more than one chair. And they were like, dude, you're in charge of the chairs, and you're taking more than one chair. And I was just like, oh, busted. I felt embarrassed. I felt sad. I prayed about it. And you know what? I had to apologize to that person immediately. And I apologized immediately. I said I was wrong for doing that, and that my amends to that person and amends to the group is not doing that anymore. The main thing is, you know, I see – those things, that, uh, those character defects pop up. I pray for my higher power to remove those things. I'm being greedy. I'm, you know, taking these chairs. I'm doing these things. And I don't do them anymore. So the main thing is, and also in my step 10, the, the written one, when I do it at night, I, I have everything written out. 10th step. Um, what am I resentful towards? What is, why am I resentful towards it? What does it affect? Does it affect my self-esteem? Does it affect my pocketbook? Does it affect my ambitions, my personal relationships, my sexual relationships, my security, my pride? Then I write down, where am I being selfish? Where am I being self-seeking? Different things. Where am I being dishonest? Where am I being afraid? Where was I to blame in this resentment? And then I say, do I owe an apology? And if I do, I better make it up immediately. Um, and then have I kept something to myself that I should discuss with my sponsor? And then was I kind and loving towards all? And then what could I have done better that day? Then I think it's all written in the big book too. Was I thinking about myself most of the time or was I thinking about what I could do for others and what can I pass into the stream of life? And then I write about that. And then I write my gratitude on a daily basis. So that's what I do on the daily.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, just a, 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 a quick little follow-up. Um you know, it's just a, I'm just wondering, you know, if there's something minor, a minor irritation or disturbance, you know, the, the big book talks about um, mm-hmm. that we, you know, we talk about, well, we ask God to remove it at once. And yep. then we discuss it immediately. And um, I'm just curious because a lot of times I may send a text message or maybe it just goes and I just am done. So I'm just wondering not to skip over what the big book is saying, but does everything require discussion? immediately with someone?
1: Well, you might want to talk it over with a sponsor or a trusted friend. The main point is, yeah, you know what? Because at this moment in time, early in recovery, you don't have that, that God intuition yet. You're early in the game. If you're early in the game, you might want to run it past somebody. And they will. You're, you know, your sponsor might have the experience and say, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, yeah, you're doing it right. Or, you know, until you're sponsoring other people and doing the same thing for them, you know, Yeah. Check with other people because I learned for myself I can't be trusted. I will try to find every way to get out of, of you know, I want the easier, softer path all the time. So the way that we get past it is by, by you know, running it by somebody. You know, that's why, that's why we do a fifth step. You know, that's why we do these things because, you know, can't we just have God know what, 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 what's in our hearts? No. We need to talk to another person about this because that, then we're really keeping it real. I'll leave it at that. To this
0: meeting. You don't have to go to- Thank you, Kim, for the question. Who's next with the question? Star one to unmute. This is Heidi. Hi,
8: this is Dana in Missouri.
0: I heard hey, Heidi and then Dana. If everybody else could mute so we can have a quiet line, we'll start with Heidi, please. Thanks.
2: Thank you, and good, good morning. Thank you for being with us this morning, Phil. So my name is Heidi. I'm a compulsive overeater in Denver, Colorado. Oh, right. My question. Good morning. My question is, what is your response? If you, have you ever had sponsees like myself who feel no need or desire to have a food
5: plan, way, or measure? I I seem to be pretty firm
2: about um, I'm in the solution. I don't really want to think about my food or focus on my food. Mm-hmm. I, know how to, I know how to eat nutritionally. I so know you're doing like
1: how... a intuitive thinking, intuitive eating.
9: Intuitive eating, and I'm wondering, have you had uh, sponsors? What is your thought about that? Any um, words, uh, questions,
1: my Anything? my theory on that? You know what? Food plans are going to be food plans. I always recommend a nutritionist or a dietitian if they're going to get one. They could get one or not. But the main point is, I don't run your food. You know, um, I'm here to take you through the steps. That's what a sponsor does. We take you through the steps. So. You know, if you want somebody, you might want a food person. But you know what? If you're doing intuitive eating and it's working for you and you're working these steps rigorously and honestly, all's well.
0: Thank Hello. you, Heidi, for the question. Dana, your turn.
8: Hi, this is Dana. I'm a compulsive overeater here in Missouri. And I have a question you. for you, Phil.
0: Mm hmm.
8: Um, I am chronically ill and pretty much homebound. I have, I'm have in my 40s and I've been sick since I was about 20. It's not related to weight issues. Uh-huh. Um, I have been in the program for about two and a half years. I have an email sponsor, but she has not taken me through the steps, which is interesting, I guess.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
8: so what I'm trying to find out is how do I go about finding a step sponsor, and do you think that there are sponsors out there that are willing to Work with people that are chronically ill and might have um, some limitations on how much they can do um in the program for some for example, some days <laughs> just you know going to the bathroom is is all I can get done, and maybe a text message previously and writing out my food for the day. And other days, you know, I have a couple hours of energy that I can put towards my program. So I guess that's my question. And I've been on some phone meetings. That's kind of how I do my, the meeting part for uh, my program. And I've just come across a lot of chronically ill people in some of them. And a lot of them don't have long-term abstinence. So anyway, that's my question for you. What do you think?
1: Hmm. All right. What I believe... Well, and remember, this is only my opinion here, um, sure. that whatever disease is going on with you, you have a right to recovery. You have this right to, to do it, but only as much as you're willing to put in. Yeah, you might be chronically ill or fatigued or whatever the situation is, but the main point is you can put in the work. So I'm going to recommend to you there's Skype meetings, there's relationships with sponsors, and, yo, if your sponsor is not taking you through the steps, attention all people whose sponsors are not taking you through the steps, You better, A, ask them to take you through the steps. And if they're not willing to do it, find a sponsor who has a sponsor that took them through the steps and tell them, take me through the steps the way your sponsor took me through the steps and start looking for something. Start looking for a sponsor that's going to – because I'm not here to – like they always say, your sponsor is not your friend or your pen pal or whatever. Your sponsor is your sponsor. Your sponsor's job is to take you through the steps. You know, just saying, just saying, the 12-step program, take you through the 12 steps. That's their job. Your job is not to say, hey, how are you doing today? That's not a sponsor. The sponsor is like, what are you doing for your recovery today? Bong. I'm not here to be your mom. I'm not here to be this, but I'm here to say, this is what I'm offering. Here's what's on the plate that I'm offering. If you're willing to do this work, and each different sponsor will have different things, require, requirements, and you find the sponsor that has the requirements that works for you and is willing to work at your pace. Like I said, there's sponsors that will Skype with you. You know, you could be homebound all you want, but, girl, you're going to have to do that work no matter what. You might be fatigued and stuff like that, but if you could crack open a book and turn that page and read a little something, you're going to be good
4: money. Just saying.
0: Thank you, Dana. Anyone else?
4: Hey, it's Scotty from New York. Can I ask a question? Yes. Hey, Scotty. Hey. (laughs) Hey. Hey, thank you. I just uh, really, really, really appreciate your qualification this morning. You sharing where you're at in your recovery. You being a major, major part of my recovery world as well as my outside of recovery world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the question I had just flew out of my head. God help me. Um, but okay, you know what? Let's let's talk about. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, Phil. Um, hey, it's yeah, okay, man. But, I love you. you know That's All awesome. right, Well, well, you know, lots of love, lots of love both ways around. So, but besides the love fest. Um, how do you, all right, here, here's a good question, how do you work with your sponsor and your sponsors on a regular basis to do page 85, 86, 87, 88, the 11-step stuff, how do you do that on a daily basis and sort of what differentiates that from the, the routine type stuff that we do with step 10, how, how, how are they different?
1: Wow, that's a great question, bringing it up on there. All right, so let's see. The, 80, the 85, you said 84 through 88, or 85 through 88?
4: Well, step 11 starts on the bottom of page 85, mm-hmm. and it goes through. And then step 4, of course, is, is the middle of 84 through the bottom of 85. So within that structure, um, some people call a lot of what we do at the end of the day a step 10. Some people right. call the things that we do throughout the day a step 11. And it's just I'm sort of confused, uh, or I've gotten confused from other people's questions, and I certainly have a way of thinking and, and going about this. But I was curious to hear yours. All
1: right. Well, well, my my thing is when it comes down to prayer, uh, prayer and meditation, um, I, I keep it mad simple. It's like, am I praying? <laughs> yeah, man, I pray all the time. I pray in the morning. I pray at night. I pray before eating. I pray in between all the time. Get my get some meditation in there. No matter how much meditation you're getting in there, they just say, um, the only way that you can do it wrong is not do it. So, that that is the prayer and meditation section of it. I, I don't want to get all complicated that with that, but, yeah, but when they have that, when we retire at night, we constructively, you know, review our day, and yeah, all those things that, that I genuinely call a 10th step is an 11th step, actually. Yeah, you're right, because it's in the 11th step, so what's up with that? But, You know what, I don't want to split hairs over it because, you know, it's all the things. It's the main things that we do over and over again. And if anything, we should be doing, um, you know, 10, uh, what, 9, 10, 11, 12, like constantly anyway. So it's all one big mishmash, one big kushka-mushka of recovery. So, you know, I'm not going to say I'm doing this exact thing or doing that exact thing. It's all about just doing the whole thing, you know. As long as we're doing it, and not do, you know, if we're not doing it, then you know something's lacking. And then that's when the pain comes. That's when the fear comes. And as long as we, we have that constant contact, as long as I'm getting that constant contact with my higher power, that's what's the most important part. Am I talking to my higher power? Am I listening to my higher power? Because believe me, sitting and listening is some important stuff. So I can't extol its virtues enough. Still your brain and just chill and listen for that inspiration. So... You know, sorry, I couldn't really answer, but you know what? (laughs) I'm sure this is an ongoing conversation that me and you will keep
0: having. (laughs) Thank you, Scotty, for the question. Who's next? Sandy from
5: Delaware.
0: I heard Sandy. Who else did I hear?
5: Same from uh, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, Sandy, let's start with you.
5: Okay, thank you. Hi,
3: Phil and everybody. Uh, I'm Sandy A. to Compulsive Reader. I've been in and out of the program for a long, long time, and and I've worked through the steps but not really recovered. However, uh, many years ago, I made amends to my kids. I have six kids to my ex-husband, and uh, recently uh, I had someone sponsoring me who said I had to go back and do it again, but uh, I'm... You know, they accepted my amends, they speak to me, and I I really uh, feel that going back and doing it over again would uh, do more harm than good. What's your feeling on that?
1: Well, you can have your sponsor explain a little deeper. Um, How long ago did you do those amends?
3: Oh, maybe, uh, oh, I don't know how many, years ago, years ago.
1: Mm -hmm. So maybe what your sponsor is saying that the stuff that you've learned this time around in the steps, you know, maybe you've gotten deeper. Maybe you have a deeper understanding of yourself and understanding, you know, know, of the things that you did. Because remember, this is ultimately all about you and cleaning your side of the street. You know, if you did this so long ago, I mean, believe me, a lot of my first, the first time around, I mean, I've been through the steps three times, and, you know, first time around, my amends, Now that I look at it in retrospect, not so good. You know, I was not really understanding. I was still a little mocus from just coming in. And uh, now, years later, some of the things that I had to redo, I had to really take a close look at it and see my place in it, see for my family, where had I not shown up? Where the, you know, how had I harmed them? What was I not doing when I was in the food? You know, not being there. All these different things. I could see it clearer now. Can you see clearer now You know how you harmed your family, and then what amends are you making? What are you not doing anymore? I'm not doing these things anymore, and this is what I'm doing now. How am I acting differently now? You know, that's that's my experience on that one. So, you know, don't be scared of doing amends again. It ain't gonna kill you. And if they if they accepted it the first time around, you know, remember you're doing this for you. You're doing this because you want to be free. You want, you're doing this because you want to be free of compulsive overeating, so do it. I just say, go for it. You can't, you can't, you can't lose with doing it. And if you think that, you know, if you think that it's going to har- do more harm than good, then that's a conversation you should have with your sponsor and explain why you think, you know. But every time that I've had that conversation with my sponsor and said why I think that uh, I'm harming that, that it would be more harm to bring it up, uh, my sponsor says usually, uh, that's ego you know, just do it. (laughs) I was just like, oh. So I have to pray, meditate about that, and then handle business.
0: Sandy, thank you for the question. Who's
5: next? Hi, my name is Lorraine. I'm from Western Pennsylvania.
0: Lorraine, Lorraine. your turn.
5: Okay. Bill, thank you for your experience, strength, and hope. The question I have is, when did you know, or what, what, what did you do? How did you come about getting past that desire to work desire to not wanna how do I wanna put it? That you said something about I didn't want to honestly stop eating. Ah yes, part. I
1: didn't have that yeah, I didn't have that honest desire. You know what? Um I had the when I first came in I just wanted to to uh I wanted the secrets of how to lose weight. That's what I wanted. But, you know, luckily they said, you, they, they took that part out of the big book that says you need an honest desire. All it says is that you just need a desire. I just need a desire to, to not drink today. I just need a desire to not compulsively overeat today. It doesn't matter if it's a dishonest desire or, or an honest desire. So, you know what, you can come in with your, all the dishonest desires you want. If you come in and you listen to your sponsor and you work a rigorous program, guess what, any desires that you have are going to start aligning itself to your higher power, and you're going to get the recovery that you're looking for, and you're going to get way, way more. You know, if, if I could have gotten what I wanted back then, you know, if you get everything you wish for, what I wish for back then, I would have sold myself short because everything my higher power is giving me is so much more. So, seriously, just go for it.
0: Thanks, Lorraine. Anyone else? Questions for Phil this morning?
5: Jason from Pensacola.
0: Hey, Jason, go ahead.
5: Hey, Phil, thank you very much for your share this morning. I really appreciate that. I wanted to ask if, um, myself, I'm about probably halfway through um, the amount of weight that I wish to lose, and Mm -hmm. I find myself sort of stalled, um, Ah, both in terms of the weight and in terms of just sanity, or um, kind of just kind of bobbing around. And I wondered if you had experienced that and what you did, how you handled it, what you, how you doubled it. What step are I you can. on? I what? am in 10, 11, and 12, so as best as I mm-hmm. can.
1: Okay. Well, my sponsor would say, are you resting on your laurels?
5: 10, 11, 12,
1: you have sponsees. Are you taking them through the steps?
5: I had a sponsee for a couple of days, and then, uh-huh. uh, um, I don't have one at the moment.
1: Well, my recommendation is you know, there are, if you're available to start taking people through the steps, um, at certain meetings they, they say if people are available to take people through the steps, start offering your services. If you start offering your services and you start doing that, trust me, your program will get tight because, you know what, you can't, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And if you're not giving it away, guess what, you're going to start losing it. So don't do that. So you, the way that it keeps it green for you, you start working with new people and taking them through the steps. It doesn't matter if they're staying abstinent or not. No matter what, you will stay abstinent. You will get your stuff tight. Also, another thing I did was I started looking at uh, is there something that I'm doing? Are my meals starting to inch up and get larger? Is there other thing? You take a honest look at your life and see what's going on here. But the main thing that saves my hash every time is
0: sponsees. Thank you, Jason, for the question. Anyone else? Get it in now before we
2: bid farewell. This is Mary from Michigan. Mary, go ahead. Uh, what is the difference between self seeking and being selfish? Thank you. Woo!
1: That is the best question. I knew that one was going to come out here. And this one, thanks to Scotty Kay giving me this paper right here. <coughs> it says here the difference between selfish and self seeking. All right. Selfish means Too much concern with one's own welfare or interests and having little or no concern for others, right? It's similar to Uh, self-centered. Self-seeking is a person who seeks only or mainly to further his own interests. So when I put, where am I being self-seeking? I want to be the hero. I want to be this, or I want to be this. I want to be the supermodel, whatever thing that I'm trying to seek. Where am I trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I always think being the hero. I'm trying to save people, so... You know, that's where I'm being self-seeking, but where am I being selfish? I'm selfish because I want my will be done. You know what I mean? So that's, that's a different concern with my own welfare. I'm trying to protect myself.
0: So I hope that clarifies it. Thank you, Mary. Anyone else?
9: Hi. Um, I'm Connie. I'm calling from Vancouver. I'm a compulsive reader.
0: Hi, Connie. Your turn. Hi, Connie.
9: Hello. Um, I'm kind of new to OA. I've only been in OA for three to four weeks, and um, I don't know if I'm going to stay because um, I don't really believe in the personification of a god. I believe in a universal energy that kind of operates as a kind of a life force, um, and and you were talking about something similar to that when you mentioned yes, yeah, all that stuff. So I'm more inclined to that, and um, I'm in search of a sponsor. And in that search, I'm I don't I'm not sure how to find a sponsor that would match um, what I kind of believe in and I think that it would be important for me to be with such a person um, what do you think about that
1: you would think so but alas it is not the case the main point in, in the big book it says a god of your understanding and if that god of your understanding is the god of the universe I mean that universe is large right I mean seriously yeah. that, is a, that, is, that is a great god uh, to have because it shows how infinite you know god is And um, And, uh, so you hold on to that thing. And the main point is, that is your God. You have a God. (laughs) You do. And it's a God of your understanding. And the main point is, you know, yeah, it's not key or a personification of a thing. Whatever. The main point is, you don't have to believe what the other people believe. All you have to do is believe in something and it's greater than you. That's all you got. So, and you know what? You don't have to believe with your your, your sponsor believes. And you know what? I just actually came back from Canada and there's some good meetings up there so make sure to take advantage. Um, so don't worry about that. All you need is a sponsor that's going to take you through the steps that the way they did it. And yeah, you might have to do some praying or this or that, but remember, when, when you're praying, what you're praying is to the universe, okay? And if you don't want to say the prayer the way that it's said, that's cool too. The main point is, you don't need this kind of you don't have, and that goes for everybody. You don't have to be held down to some sort of religious dogma that we've always been. I mean, for me personally, that I was fed, force-fed as a kid. I went to Catholic school, so you don't have to be that. You have the God that you want. You have the God that you develop, and you develop a lot of this during your second step. So you need somebody that's going to take you through the step work, and you're going to see. It doesn't matter what you, what your what your sponsor believes. Your sponsor could believe what your sponsor is going to believe. I know people that you know you could. You could have uh, uh, different religions. You could have no religions. The main point is as long as you believe in your personal thing, it's God as you understand them, nobody can tell you what to believe. Nobody can tell you what your higher power is, and it's personal to you. So don't let that keep you out of the rooms of OA. This recovery is here for you. The universe is big, and there's a big place for you in it, and especially in recovery.
0: Enough said. Thank you, Connie, for the question. Anyone else? Last call for questions this morning. Star one on mute. Going once. Uh, Hello? You got in there. Yes. Please identify yourself.
2: I'm Madeline, a recovered compulsive overeater. Go right ahead. I appreciate the talk uh, that I've been listening to. Uh, what I really wanted to do was uh, see if I could make contact with, I think it was Dana from Missouri, who was asking about a sponsor for crime. All for right. That's what I'm
1: talking about.
0: Okay. Well, perhaps we can fish Dana out of the pond at the conclusion of this recording. Thank you. That sounds
1: like a good idea. I want people to get sponsors up in here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. All right, Phil. Well, thank you so much for your time and your energy on the line this morning sharing with us your Persu- Yes. Hello. Hi, it's Lisa, Compulsive Overeater from Brooklyn. How are you doing? Hey, Lisa. Hi. I just wanted to mention for Connie, there's a meeting called Unconventional Spirituality, which actually meets now. Um, it's on the phone line as she goes to OA.org. Connie, that's- That's an outside issue. Thank you. We'll take those kind of things after the recording has concluded if you want to offer your phone number. And thank you, Phil, for your time and your energy on the line this morning sharing with us your story of personal transformation, what a message of hope it was. And I'm going to close the meeting this morning the way a vision for you always closes its meetings, and that's from page 164 in the big book. Until then.